Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and I'm here to share some of the most epic conversations I get to have with some of the most fascinating people on our planet. Every episode is dedicated to elevating the conversation around mental health because it ain't weak to speak. I'm a massive believer that a conversation could change and save a life for the better. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Well, g'day everyone and welcome back on to It Ain't Week to Speak. This is Sam Webb. I'm your host. I'm so stoked to be here. I always am and I'm always excited to speak to new guests because they give me intel and insight into their life, their journey, and everyone's journey is very different. That being said, I hope that wherever you are, your journey is going well. I hope you've been having some good home runs and and hitting wins out of the park. However, if you're not and you've been dealing with loss or relationship breakdowns or you look at yourself in the mirror some mornings and you just don't feel so full or you're lacking in that confidence department or the self-worth, please take this moment to stop. Give yourself a pat on the back for how far that you've actually come. You're listening. You're turning up to a podcast off your own back. You don't have to be here. You know, this is a self-help and a self-exploration podcast. And that's what this is all about, about sharing stories and wisdom and insight so that we can grow and we can grow together and live our best lives and be nourished and full and i think that we all are on this roller coaster of what we call life and i think it's really important to recognize that that nobody has a perfect life not one person i've ever come in contact with has been 100 happy all of the time it doesn't exist so don't try and set unrealistic expectations that being said I am super excited to get this guest onto the podcast. Now, I connected with TJ Power across Instagram. He's in his 20s and he grew up near London in the UK. So I will be dialing him in from the UK in his hometown. A little bit of backstory on TJ. He's actually a neuroscientist and he runs a platform called Neurofy, which is basically kind of like an education system but they also have trained over 15,000 people so it's really a mental health company focused on utilizing the powers of his background which is neuroscience so like the evidence and the facts to teach people like us how to live more optimally or more happier and healthier lives and this is all achieved through their unique gamified mental health teaching method which is pretty cool I actually checked out their platform and their app and it's incredible what they're doing the amount of effort time and money invested into that is mind-blowing so i can't wait to talk to tj about that but i really want to talk to him about his prior younger years what brought him to studying psychology and neuroscience and a big part of this podcast is going to be angled towards dopamine the importance of dopamine in our bodies the importance of having and creating natural you know earned what we call and what we discuss in this podcast is kind of like earned dopamine as opposed to those quick hits of dopamine like smacking a vape or drinking alcohol or doing drugs or you know investing in porn and stuff like that that's not earned dopamine that gives you very quick and most of the time very unhealthy and habit forming dopamine hits to the brain which over time can cause drastic drastic declines but without going to too much scientific sides of that because that's not my expertise i'm going to leave that for tj to talk about but we definitely talk really deeply about the importance and the impacts of dopamine on the body on the brain and most importantly on your mental health and how important it is and how impacting negatively it can be if you haven't earned it properly. So we touch on really simple things here, which we can do as non-neuroscientists, listening to the brain, how are the behaviors impacting you, dopamine, the true joy and the awareness around it, 
But enough of that, guys. If you like the podcast, like I always say, please just take one minute right now to like it, review it, leave a comment for all of us, subscribe to the podcast. Please, it's going to help us and live and grow the, you know, grow our community, climb the podcast charts, help people that are in need, and spread good stories worldwide. That's the goal here. I want you guys to be a part of this change with me and with living, and that's all I can ask for. Leave a review, leave a comment, like it, subscribe it, share it around, tell your friends, tell your family, post it on Insta, Facebook, tag me, tag living, wherever it is, whatever you're comfy with. I just want to see you guys living the best life that you can. And we're all in this together. So let's welcome neuroscientist TJ Power onto the podcast. Welcome, TJ. Welcome onto the podcast, TJ Power. It is an absolute pleasure having you on here all the way from the UK, man. Welcome. Welcome onto It Ain't Week to Speak. Thank you, Sam. I'm buzzing to be here, man. Excited to dive into this conversation. And likewise, I got connected, obviously, through the work you do through one of our other guests which we've had on the podcast and so speaking of that you guys both come from kind of the same part of the world over in the uk Mm -hmm. you're doing great work by the way with your platform with your app and everything like that you do a lot of public speaking you train individuals employees workplaces let's just put pause button on that for a moment and just take it all the way back you're from the uk you're in your 20s why the neuroscience why the psychology why this field of profession? I always like to ask people when they're in this industry and in this sector, so to speak, like there has to be some driving purpose, like a why. Like why did it all start for you? Yeah, it's cool. It's good to reflect back. It's one of those things you find yourself in these careers and then you suddenly think, why is it that I actually went on this path? For me, when I was pretty young, like five years old to eight years old i experienced some pretty serious ocd and at the time i never knew it was ocd but experienced some ocds had quite like an anxious young brain i had a mom that was awesome she understood it pretty well and managed to guide me through it and i got some good guidance through it and stuff like that but that was kind of my first step into okay we can have some shit happen in our heads and then i would say Yeah, I went into golf. Part of the thing I did was I trained my OCD into golf and I like spent my younger years really trying to become a professional golfer from about seven to 14. I was locked in. I got pretty good. I got to like a national standard. And then that again, deepened my insight into psychology because I had like sports psychologist help and all that kind of stuff. And then I was about 16 trying to figure out what I was going to study and stuff at college, like our 16 to 18 like high school type years and psychology was like the only thing i'd ever found myself to be super interested in so i dove into that and that's kind of what kicked off the path okay okay interesting interesting and ocd mate you and i both i mean it's something that it's been plaguing my life for quite a while in different aspects and i think ocd itself and ocpd and which is obsessive compulsive personality disorder or ocd is obsessive compulsive disorder for those people that don't know you know, they're definitely associated most of the time, and I wouldn't say all the time, but with other diagnosable mental health challenges, whether it be anxiety, perfectionism, there's a list of diagnosable mental issues that we won't have to dive into now because there's too many and that's not what this is about. But like, how did you recognize it? And like, what were those kind of symptoms for you, like as a young fella in the UK? Yeah, like, so when I was super young, I was living like an unusual life my parents had like a really fast increase into success and a very fast crash out of the success so it was like a, our life changed very fast so i think my brain got a bit like fearful and it's interesting when you look at the onset of these kind of symptoms and then i just had like a lot of obsessive fears i was super young like five six years old and i would be lying in bed and having my head that if i didn't go outside to the garage in the middle of the night and turn a light switch 10 times or something like that, then this bad event would happen. And it would be like something I'd construct in my mind. And in general, going outside at night isn't very fun, let alone when you're a five-year-old kid because it's terrifying. I created these kind of compulsive loops with fears of potential events that could occur. And as you know, like you may have navigated similar things, they can repetitively spiral and you can get into these loops of really like kind of succumbing to the compulsions that are within your mind. And It's something that I was fortunate almost to understand it so young and have a lot of guidance, but I can 100% still feel my brain can operate in that way for sure. And I have to actively 
be aware when my brain tries to make me compulsively do something or obsess over something too much and kind of quiet it down and calm it down with various strategies. Okay. And then on that though, like you just mentioned there, so it's obviously happened, like this started onset or the occurrence of, you know, OCD symptoms and that kind of way of thinking to a certain degree happened at a young age and you're now in your twenties, right? And you notice that it can still be there if you acted on it. Do you have any like for people listening like do you have anything that works for tj around like when you're noticing those symptoms or those signs pop up in your brain to go like you could be really obsessive about something do you have anything to kind of break that cycle like anything that works for you right now the biggest thing i have found is when like this suggestion comes in my head of like these ocd things can sound so unusual but like we have these unique things in our head but something stood like walking over three drains on a street and thinking that something's bad if if you walk over three drains like having these suspicious kind of thought processes the only thing i've found that progressively helps i started doing this when i was young is whenever my brain suggests some to like not do something because of some kind of event as soon as i hear the suggestion i immediately do the behavior like the thing that my brain tells me not to do i have to just act and immediately do it because it like silences the potential for its impact and that's the biggest thing so like if it comes in I'll just do whatever my brain told me it was fearful of not doing. And then it kind of immediately, the event has happened. So my brain can't tell myself anymore. Like, oh, if you do this. It's kind of, it's kind of like you've just ruled out the facts because what you've done is you've actually done the very thing that was your brain and your thought process was telling you not to do because of danger or some kind of fear or a fearful outcome. You do it without thinking too much about it. And you realize that that thought wasn't true in the first place kind of thing. Is that right? Yeah, that yeah. that's the most like efficient way I've found to kind of, yeah, quieten down that voice in my head. I like that. I like that because you, you can't really give yourself too much time then to think about it. You got to really just dive in. Does that affect you? Obviously, there are things in life, positively and negatively. And I used to be pretty superstitious and I don't know if that's linked to the feelings of OCD and stuff like that. I think there's definitely a relationship. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and mate, I, I must, yeah, I mean- it sounds like there certainly is, especially when you're like, oh, if I don't do a certain thing three times or do knock on wood or whatever it is, something bad's going to happen. But then if you unpack it and you look at all the facts that surround that, the times that you've never done those things and anything bad happening has been nothing, right? So they are generally just thoughts for the most part, but it's very easy said than done. Like you said, you know what I mean? For sure. It's easy to sit here, you and me, and say, you know, we recognize OCD symptoms and we can just dive into the deep end and get out of our comfort zone and silence our inner voice. But for a lot of people, man, doing that shit's so hard, you know, they're just stuck. So hard. It has to be really like gradually practiced and progressed with over time. It's yeah. not something that's like, oh, now it's sort of. Yeah. And for the most part, it's definitely something that you kind of probably want to do and people should be doing with mental health professionals, you know, people that are trained in those areas to put you in a safe space so that you can learn and move forward with a good environment around you, you know? 100%, man. Has it helped you with your business stuff though, man? Like from an entrepreneur point of view, I know you're an entrepreneur you, and we'll talk about all the great things that you're working on soon, but you know, you're going through college, you've done an undergrad, you do a master's degree, you're pursuing a neuro, TJ, the neuroscientist. Like has OCD helped you in a lot of those regards? Like be more higher operating from a capacity of like wanting to excel and do good grades and if it's not done right, you'll do it right kind of thing. Like is any of that kind of push the boundaries as well with the way you've been operating yeah i like that question a lot i definitely think yeah it has i think i'm very interested in like evolutionary psychology like how we designed over time and what's our brain designed to do and things like that which is why i went so deep into these brain chemicals and i think for many of these mental health challenges or disorders or whatever we choose to call them in the modern world I think they're typically just an overdone strength. They're something that would have been advantageous, but effectively our brain has got slightly too like embodied in doing it too much. Like something like cleanliness and deep organization is like a classic symptom of OCD. But obviously that's a very useful thing to have in a tribal community if someone's pretty into the cleanliness and organization. But these things can be taken too far. And for me, a huge part of the OCD in solving it was trying to channel this like desire for perfectionism and things like that into something. Like originally I said, I channeled it into the golf and I found that if I can have one thing in my life that I laser focus on, and I also have like a bit of light autism and stuff like that. If I have something that my brain really, really locks in on, 
then I almost find it's like a superpower instead of like some kind of disability. So in terms of having a lot of drive and and keeping this business progressing forward and being laser focused on a goal, like I think it has been pretty useful. Yeah, amen to that, mate. I think, and again, it's from what you've mentioned, what I just mentioned, and for everyone listening, there is a lot of, it's kind of like that fine line, you know, there is so much good that can come out of having these deep rooted feelings and emotions and hardwired thoughts that can ultimately change the way that you think and operate in the real world. But there are, and there are things that can really hurt you as well with that thinking, but there are a lot of superpowers I feel like, and it's happened for me over the years. I mean, everyone's very different, but you know, my anxiety, for example, can get to a point where it's really bad and I actually don't like, I don't like it. Like, I don't know, I don't want to live with that feeling and sensation, that heightened stimuli for the rest of my life. But there are parts of my work ethic and the things that I do professionally from a laser focus point of view, whether it be my acting or speaking or working on certain projects that, you know, inquire about creativity where I'm like enough anxiety and the feelings and the sensations that I feel because of that hardwired mental health thinking has helped me in a lot of ways. Like it's actually made me better at that craft, so to speak. I'm able to tap into certain emotions and feelings, for example, when I'm acting on the floor, putting a scene up that I don't know that I'd be able to tap into had I not felt those sensations in my body. I'm highly bodily derived sensation, if that makes sense. Like I'm somatic. So I feel everything very easily. Whereas some people yeah. don't, I'm, I'm highly somatic. So if something feels off on my body, I tend to tell my brain something's off. You know what I mean? For sure. And the, our brain and body is so deeply interconnected. And I think it's a, again, I think it's an advantage having that connection to your body. It does mean that you can have the capacity to feel anxiety a bit more deeply because a huge amount of the anxiety, even though we perceive its thoughts in our head, is more our gut and our body that's actually really nervous about potential fear in its environment. So it's like, again, something that can be advantageous. You can deeply connect into emotion, positive and negative, but then comes with its challenges as well. hundred percent, man. It's a double-edged sword. It can, it can help and it can hurt. And that's just the way it is. So it's trying to find that balance. You know, it's trying to find the manage the area that helps you because it's like you mentioned cleanliness and tidiness in a tribal organized community world is good to a certain point but when it gets to a place where it's unhealthy and it's unhelpful and it changes the way you're operating with friends or family that come over and they're in your space and you feel uncomfy that kind of thinking and way of ocd isn't the best for sure and i see everything as we as humans are optimized survival machines we've managed to survive here for like four hundred thousand years looking like we do and there are certain activities that are really advantageous to our survival. And typically, if they are, they're going to lead to our brain feeling pretty good. And there's some that's not. And if you took something like someone being super cleanly in a tribe, it would be an extremely useful thing until a point where that's all they did and they made no other contribution to the tribe. So that's when it would like tip the scale. And when you look at your own behavior, a similar things happen. Some things are advantageous to your future. Some things aren't so much. And they typically have a positive or negative impact. That, that's so very true, man. I agree completely. And with you, like, you know, going to university, right, and you're pursuing neuroscience, psychology as an undergrad, is that correct? What has been your biggest, like, when you look at, like, lived experience, right? So from your own experience growing up, whether it be trauma, whether it's your own mental health challenges, and then looking from a, an evidence-based side, so studying psychology, looking at like neuroscience, like the brain research, like what's been something that you've really like thought, wow, that's something that has helped me so much in life and whether I'm dealing with people, dealing with myself, dealing with business, like I'm talking neuroscience, lived experience, evidence, self. Have you been yeah, at, because cool yeah. Question. I love it. That is a good question. So for me, I'm someone that, has always been super vulnerable to addictive behaviors from super young, from like 11 years old, I was probably smoking cigarettes okay. to my mom's dismay and smoking weed, drinking alcohol, and then everything that progresses from there as you go into older and older. And navigating my relationship with addictive behaviors definitely been something I've had to get right. And in the last sort of 
three years, four years since I've really been loads focused on the business, I would say I've managed to get all of these things pretty managed. But that's something I really struggled to navigate. And when I was learning about this neuroscience psychology, I started really diving into this dopamine chemical, which is like the super famous brain chemical of the modern world. And when I first discovered dopamine, I just knew like, oh yeah, porn is dopamine or cocaine is dopamine or social media or whatever it may be. And I just saw dopamine as this potentially negative word. I never really saw any positive association with dopamine because everyone always talks about the bad side of it. And I started discovering this idea that the reason we actually have dopamine from like a hunter-gatherer perspective is it's the chemical that would motivate us towards hard activities that would keep us alive as a group. So dopamine would motivate us to hunt and find food and build shelter and find new lands to explore and things like that. And the biggest thing I discovered is basically if we don't put enough effort in, like dopamine is something that's designed to be earned. If we don't put enough effort in, dopamine levels go super low. If we put more effort in certain behaviors, dopamine levels go high. And learning to balance all the addictive shit with more activities in my life that are effort, effort, deeper focused work, cold water immersion, more exercise, getting out in the sunshine more, anything that was more effort in my life began to moderate the addictive behaviors and reduce them down. And that for me was so life-changing because I stopped feeling all like lazy and depressed and shit and started pursuing my life with more drive effectively. Yeah, right. That's really interesting, man. Okay, so unpacking some of the studies that you do, some of the work that you're doing with Neurofi and the community and other really smart, intelligent people in the field. Let's just focus right now for this next little part on the podcast. I want to talk about addiction. Yeah. Okay, addictive personalities, addiction itself. Let's talk about phone addiction. Dopamine, phone, like, can you talk to me around, because this day and age, right, and I can talk from my own experiences, I don't know really about everyone else's, but I feel certain times when you're on a social media platform or some form of social media, you're getting little micro hits of dopamine. Would I be right saying that when you're getting likes and engagement and comments? Okay. So talk to me through that, like, what has been something that's come up for you in the past or dealing with people in the community or people that you work with around phone addiction or any any studies or science stuff that you've done in the past? Like, what is the root drive of all that? Like, where is it really coming from? And what can we effectively do maybe as human beings, as users of these things to be better, to be better equipped with not succumbing to that feeling of addiction and being stuck on our phones 24-7 kind of thing? Yeah, so... There's kind of two big drivers. One is you'll receive dopamine in your brain from social approval from the group, effectively. And any sort of engagement in you, when you go and you see all that little red on the DMs or like a red circle, I mean, on DMs or notifications or comments, anything like that provides you with social approval. And it's so addictive checking it. And that's why for you, when you post a video that gets a particularly large amount of engagement, you suddenly get this like surge of buzz within you. And that's dopamine coming into your brain. And again, what I explained earlier, dopamine is the survival-based chemical. Social approval literally equals survival to your brain because there's more people liking you, caring for you, means social approval. So you have that aspect, super, super addictive. And the other part of dopamine is that novelty can create dopamine. New experiences can create dopamine. This is why when you go and see some friends you haven't seen for a while a villa in an airbnb or something mm-hmm. that's like crazy exciting yeah, and that's because yeah. your brain is like wow this is a whole new fucking experience a dopamine surge difficulty with social media is it's always novelty it's always new and this is what tiktok have absolutely nailed and that's why tiktok is so much more addictive than all the other platforms ever were and why they're all copying because you never see the same shit it's always new always new always new So we're either addicted to social approval or we're just addicted to new stimuli. And in terms of breaking the habits, it's really about giving your brain longer windows where it doesn't experience the dopamine surge. Because most people are getting at least a little hit every five to 10 minutes, probably throughout the entire day, from the moment they wake to the moment they sleep. And it's like us having like tiny, tiny bits of cocaine or like a tiny little one-tenth of a shot of vodka or something. And if you never let yourself be away from it for a prolonged period of time, you're always going to stay in the addictive loop and you're always going to have that urge of, oh, I want more, I want more. And if you have it too much when the dopamine levels are low, because they've gone up really high when you're watching, they go low after. When they're low, we feel super anxious and we're like, we know that the phone alleviates the anxiety within us. So 
you have to start getting super disciplined with like windows off your phone. And from a research perspective, you need a good 60 minutes to recharge the dopamine. So we have this concept called phone fasting, like fasting from food, but fasting from your phone. And we get everyone just like an initial training phase doing 60 minutes every evening where they'll pick some kind of activity where they just commit to not be on their phone. So it might be even just while they're watching TV, it might be food, it might be gym, it might be social, but they build in this 60 minute pattern and their brain gets used to, oh, I don't constantly need the spikes. I can cope with it lowering down and coming back. And then you can start building from there effectively. And we get bigger fasts. We get people doing a full afternoon on a Saturday and then full 24 hour fasts and stuff like that to help recharge it effectively. Yeah, I love that, man. It's similar to what I've practiced since probably 2000 and. 16 actually man and to be brutally honest i'm not perfect at it but i've mentioned this on a couple of podcasts something that really works for me is kind of like a power hour so every night so i'm actually so nicole actually vignola who's also from the uk who i mentioned earlier who's also a neuroscientist mentioned the 321 strategy and you can listen to that podcast too but the 321 is basically stop eating three hours before bed stop drinking water two hours before bed and stop being on your phone one hour before bed. I've always done the one hour before bed. So I've done that since 2016. That's extremely good. Yeah. Mate, since 2016, I'm completely, and I'm being honest, I'm not perfect. There are times where not, I've something's come up, I'm on my phone. But I went to this health retreat and that it was part of it. They'd actually confiscate you. Listen to this. They'd confiscate your freaking phone. I'm like, what's Mate, going that's on what here? You need. Yeah, it's what you need. But I started learning. I was there for a week and I'm like, after a week, I started feeling it was great. It was kind of like a reset from it, right? So at the moment, I always don't look at my phone for the most part. I shouldn't say always, mostly. There are times where I do for at least one hour before I go to sleep. Now, on top of that, my phone doesn't stay in my room when I'm sleeping. My phone actually stays in the kitchen. Always has. Yeah, that's a life-changing thing to do. Changed my life. People don't do that. Probably 99%. Yeah, mate, 99% of people do not do it, but I'm telling you, it's the simplest, most effective thing I've done. And yes, I get caught up on my phone most days and I get what you're putting down around social media or dopamine hits and stuff like that. And it is addictive, isn't it? Because once you're in that feedback loop and you're in that social recognition or that gateway or whatever, you know, what you're mentioning you kind of like, you want more. It's like, I want bigger hit. I want another one. I want another one. I want, it's like a drug, isn't it? To a certain degree. Yeah. And the thing is when you come off it, your brain feels extra shit because the dopamine crashes and your brain immediately goes, I only can get better. I can only get back to feeling good if I go back into the phone. Just like if you started drinking alcohol in the afternoon one day because you're having a big party with your friends. And then if you're drinking in the afternoon and then stopped drinking for like two hours, you suddenly start feeling like shit. And the only way out of it is to put more alcohol in because it recovers the dopamine levels. I'm not that's saying that's right. the best thing to do. No, the only no. way out is feeling shit. And it's the same with the phone. And people are in such an addictive loop that they think the phone is what's kind of taking their anxiety away because when they go on it, the anxiety disappears. But it's actually the phone giving them the anxiety. It's the same with like vaping, all of these things. They surge the dopamine, crash it out. So you always feel shit without it and good with it. But it's actually the opposite way around. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you think that being on the phone silences those inner voices, makes you feel good. But what it's actually doing is just feeding that perpetual cycle of it's dangerous. Like, so, mate, just from a scientific point of view and dumb it down as best as you can, whereabouts in the brain and why is dopamine really important for us outside of things like survival and shit like that? And that, what you mentioned. Yeah. Earlier. So it's built in a place called the hypothalamus, which is basically above the roof of your mouth. So if you imagine it's like up there, your hypothalamus deep in the center of your brain. And the main reason we have it is literally to create all your desire to pursue anything. And you can imagine living outside back in the day was fucking hard. So like we needed something that gave us mass, mass desire to pursue life effectively. And that's its primary function. And the most interesting thing about it is the experience of having pain, like us having any kind of psychological pain, and the experience of us having pleasure, the experience of joy and elation, these two things are co-located in that part of the brain. They're in the exact same spot. And effectively, it works like a seesaw so that if our brain experienced a load of pain, we needed something that would make us feel good about the fact we were going through pain. So say we were out in the cold hunting, all that kind of shit that was really hard. We needed something to reward us for the fact we were doing hard shit. And similarly, if all we did was pleasureful stuff, all we did was sit around like shagging and not doing anything, 
we needed something that make us feel lazy and shit so we'd get back out contributing. And that's the most simple way to understand dopamine. If all you do is high pleasure stuff, you smoke your vape, you watch porn, you scroll TikTok, you Don't eat the shitty sugary drinking. food. And like, I have no judgment for these things. I've done all of these things to the absolute max. I understand why a human would want to do them. But all your brain can do is look at your lifestyle and think, that isn't a good future for this human. So I have to make them depressed and anxious as like a signal effectively and a message to try and alter the behavior. It's the only way. And similarly, if you are in the pursuit of a life where you're working hard and you're exercising, building your career, you're doing good things, you're contributing to your family, it will love the fact you're doing that and it will give you a rewarding experience. And it's just like that seesaw. Put yourself through tough things, your brain will respond and make you feel good. Put yourself purely through pleasure and laziness, your brain will respond and make you feel like shit. That's wild, man. That is absolutely so interesting, hey? That is it's crazy. Man. It is it's, crazy. It's, we've got clever brains. Like they evolve, they're such yeah. a sophisticated system. Like, look at this giant planet, and humans manage to somehow become the dominant species. Like, we've got a really sophisticated brain. And if we align with it, if we do what the brain is designed to do, we feel really awesome. And if we don't, the brain can make us feel like shit because it just knows our future better than we do. And they're so smart. Like, our brains are such a smart vehicle. It's like a vessel. Unbelievable. For us. So, mate, with dopamine, right? Like, is there too much of it? Like, it's like, for example, you do too much shagging, too many drugs, for example, drinking. Like, it raises your dopamine level, but doesn't that raise your baseline? Wouldn't that raise – so what's the science around that? Like, does that mean, like, you now need more of a, a social media hit or more of shagging or more drinking or more drugs to fill the level – that you once thought was great isn't that how it is and you're consistently chasing that high because your baseline's increased or am i reading wrong no 100 that's a good way to understand it so imagine you're born and you just have normal baseline level dopamine anything that's hard work and difficult things would lead to that baseline going up a bit so your brain would naturally produce more dopamine so someone that is committing themselves to hard things like kids at school that exercise lots and work hard in their lessons and all that shit their dopamine is going to naturally increase. And on the other side, any of these activities that give us really, really quick pleasure, the dopamine goes up really, really quickly, but then it crashes out. And anything that's repetitively crashing it out basically leads to the overall amount being lower because it's gone high so many times, crashed out so many times. And the biggest thing is, is dopamine and like depression, for example, are super interconnected. And Someone that's navigating depression, I don't know if you've navigated it, other people listening may have navigated it. It's super hard to do anything, like to get out of bed, to make your bed, to cook, to see your friends. It becomes to this point where you have no desire to do anything. And effectively, what happens is if we just exhaust this pleasure response, so we keep surging the opening high, crashing it out, surging it high, crashing it out, our brain gets to a point where it's like, I can't cope with these big fluctuations anymore so what i'll do is i'll just give you less i'll just produce less dopamine effectively from all of these behaviors it's just sort of such a clever mechanism it knows it can't deal with the big fluctuations it knows the big fluctuations are making you anxious as fuck so it starts going right i'll produce this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue nile whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. 
Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. It's less. And if your brain starts producing less dopamine, all of your desire starts to disappear. And then the depressive experience of not being able to do anything begins to come on because you've got none of that like molecule within you that's giving you pursuit for life effectively. Far out, man. That is intense. And it's so true and it's so like, it's real. Like you hear this. Like I've spoken to people on the podcast, man, over the years and shared stories with people who have had their own lived experiences around things like addiction and you know and and that kind of stuff and it sounds exactly like kind of what they've experienced or what they go through Mm -hmm. and it's not saying that only the addictive behaviors could depression because like obviously you can go through serious life experiences you could lose a family member these kind of things can also create depressive symptoms but i think there's kind of a there's like the original anxiety and depression that we had back in the day. And then I see it as like, there's almost like a modern version of anxiety and depression where people think they're experiencing depression as a result, like their thoughts are really low and they're really worried and all this sort of stuff, but it may be massively connected to this dopamine system. And like we, for example, we're training kids in schools all the time. And these kids are like it's just a whole nother world of phone addiction. Like, for example, we get them through testing processes. And for like 15-year-olds, we're seeing average daily screen times on the phone of like 16 to 18 hours. What? On the phone. No, the why? Phone. And at school. So they're basically on it all night, just like eradicating sleep. And then every second they can possibly look at it, they're on it. And we did testing in the summer, in the month of August before kids went to school. And we saw like 12 and a half hours of TikTok a day on average, like 12 and a half hours Your of that kid. shit. And oh, it's like a lot of these kids are exhibiting, oh, I feel so depressed. I can't bother to do anything. I, I don't want to see my friends anymore. My mind is so anxious and nervous. But we're underestimating just this quick pleasure to the brain. Our brain's responding and going, I can't cope. I can't cope. So I will make you feel like shit until you cut the behavior. But okay, so I want to dive on deeper on that then. So tell me this. So you've got someone who's doing 10, 15 plus hours a day on their phone, which is a shit ton of time on your phone, right? Looking down at something and not being present in the world. I look at my phone at days where I've, you know, certain days, I think I was averaging six hours, which was way too many for me. And I was just, I noticed I was doing a long, like a lot on my phone. It doesn't happen so much these days, but like how much is too much and how little is too little kind of thing? Like what is it actually doing to their brain and what are you finding, especially through your education and the evidence and the research and then lived experience, like a combination of it all, what are you seeing? Like- when people are spending this long on it, is it kind of like the same thing? Like they, they go smoking five packs of cigarettes a day or smashing a jewel or a vape or doing cocaine or drinking? Is it kind of the same thing that we're looking at in why it raises it and drops it? Yeah. For the brain, like if you put a brain in a scanner, one scanner, they sniff a line of cocaine, one they scroll TikTok for like five or 10 minutes. The dopamine levels will increase more with the cocaine. It will increase more dramatically. But in terms of the pattern, it will be exact same. Spikes up and then it slowly crashes out and then it tries to rebalance itself. And it spikes up during the drug, the TikTok or the cocaine, and then it crashes out afterwards and then it tries to rebalance. And there's a real challenge here because it's not just the fact it's destroying the dopamine, crashing them out and feeling like shit. It's the fact that it's replacing all the other core things that a human really, really needs. Like a teenager needs to be out socializing, having fun with their friends, playing sport, exercising, being in the sunshine, all this shit that a human needs fundamentally to survive as a person. And it's the fact that all their time is now spent inside the device. And for the young people, obviously, like social confidence is something you go through that's a challenge in your teenage years. And Many of them aren't engaging in the awkwardness of becoming a teenager. So they're not developing the skills. So they're now seriously socially withdrawn. And they think the TikTok is the only thing that makes them not feel shit. And it's that repressive loop. It's a complicated cycle. And then hypothetically, fundamentally, I should say, they're missing out on those social connections. They're becoming not as socially... I'm not saying they're socially awkward, 
but they're not as socially skilled as we probably would have been 50 years ago when we didn't have mobile phones or 20 years ago, whatever, you know what I mean? Not even slightly. And like yeah. social groups and bonding is like so at the core of our mental health. Like when you look at your life, you may have experienced moments where you felt slightly like socially excluded from a group you didn't get invited to a party or not to some like birthday or something like that. And it immediately makes us so anxious when we feel social exclusion. And that's, again, evolutionarily driven. If you're kicked out of the tribe, you're fucked, you're dead. So, yeah. so like, we have to be connected into groups. And a lot of them aren't developing the social groups and bonding. So they have this like deep loneliness because they're not putting themselves into these situations. And there's other, dopamine means it's one brain chemical creates desire and motivation, but we have these other core ones, oxytocin for human bonding serotonin which affects how calm and our nervous system can be endorphins which affects our ability to cope with stress and it's like all of the things that boost those up aren't occurring because the time is just spent inside the dopamine mate talk to me through this then tj how do we encourage young people in particular if they're so used to getting that dopamine rush and those hits because it makes them feel good so they think by being glued to their devices Let's be a devil's advocate for a moment. How do we lure them to do, not lure them or encourage them, I should say, to being connected, going out to events, speaking to friends in real life, meeting them face to face, putting themselves in those positions? Because from what I'm hearing you say, you're getting dopamine from those experiences also. So how can yeah, we replace? Sure. That's good dopamine. That's good that's dopamine. Effort dopamine. That's effort. That's so not what I'm cheap he- dopamine. Correct. So what I'm hearing you say. Cheap dope means things like scrolling, drugs, drinking, smoking, porn, that stuff. Hard earned dope means things like meeting people for a coffee, going, playing sports, going to the gym, going for a walk, meeting friends, all that stuff. Yeah. Hundred percent. Okay. 100%. How do we encourage people the difference? How do we train and educate people that there is a massive difference? Because in my mind and the people that I've spoken to, they're thinking it all falls under the same umbrella. But essentially, it's not, right? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think step one is you have to become more aware of how you actually are feeling. And one of the biggest things is we never, ever, ever spend any time in the quiet at all. And like we're always podcasting, even if I convince someone to go for walks, headphones in, always distraction, always distraction. And I, again, like all of these things, I have been the extreme end of everything I suggest. The addicted to the phone, the porn, the booze, the drugs, everything distraction all of it and for me the biggest awareness i had to go through is how do i actually like feel day to day and that meant going out for some walks without my phone for half an hour and actually listen to this like rattling noise in your head and most people don't spend any time in the quiet because of all the noise that comes up if they do and they think oh i'd rather just not hear it if you actually are motivated and you think i do want to feel way better i do want to feel more connected motivated healthy calm You have to go out into the quiet and listen to the brain because we are building so many solutions to this mental health thing, mass therapy, mass training, all this stuff. We're underestimating the brain's own intuitive ability to tell you what to do because no one's actually listening to its guidance. So step one, get out into the quiet. And then with that, once you have a bit more awareness of if I wake up and spend my whole morning on TikTok and then I go into the quiet, how do I feel when I'm in the quiet versus how do I feel in the quiet if I wake up brush my teeth, splash some cold water in my face, and then go for the walk. And you have to just start becoming aware of how the behaviors are actually impacting you. That's kind of step two. So you're becoming more aware. And then you actually need to feel the true buzz of the things that create real dopamine. And the dopamine is denser. It creates more of it. It lasts way longer. And if you, with the kids, for example, we have them, they're like, God, we have to go out to the park with our friends without our phones for an hour. What the fuck will we do out there? And they actually do it and they discover their kids, just like every other 400,000 years of kids that have been created, they can entertain themselves, they, they can have fun. It. And they love it. And they think, wow, it's actually so good that I'm out here with my friends. We brought some sandwiches and some fruit and some drinks and the sun is shining. And then they experience like true joy. And the biggest thing is people aren't motivated towards this true joy because they're never experiencing it. So they think TikTok is true joy, but it's not. So it's really about just awareness around how you're actually feeling and then putting yourself into more of these environments to experience what true happiness feels like. Yeah, thank you for breaking that down, TJ, making it very succinct, mate, extremely clear, and I can follow that, and no doubt everyone else will be able to follow that. So is it safe to say that there really is a difference between 
different kind of dopamines, like TikTok dopamine and hard work of dopamine. So my, that's my question. So a simple thing like yeah. that, there is a difference. There is a difference and it all works on curves against that baseline. And I'll give you this cool study that happened in Prague that gives yeah, you some good please, research. Instance. Please. So they measured different behaviors and the impact it had on our dopamine levels. So you take something like alcohol, you drink a glass of beer, a glass of wine, your dopamine levels will go up 2x. So suddenly double the amount of dopamine in your brain. You feel euphoric and you feel really good. That then peaks on its curve at 15 minutes. So after 15 minutes, bang, you feel awesome. And then it begins to drop back down below the baseline level that you're at before you drunk the alcohol. Below, which is what? below the baseline. Below okay, before you wow. drunk it. Before you drunk it. Because it spiked up so quickly that it's thinking, shit, I need to go back down really quickly in order to get back to my middle ground. And if you, for example, imagine a hospital, like a hospital TV show where you see a heartbeat monitor in the background, someone's heart starts going really quickly, like they're having a heart attack or something. On that monitor, it starts going like this, really high, really low, really high, really low. And that's because your brain, your body is experiencing shit, this heart's going fast. And it's immediately responding by making it go really slowly and then really because it's trying to rebalance. And our dopamine will do the same. If it goes up really quickly, it's like, fuck, why am I up here? And then it tries to go down really quickly. So alcohol, 2x, 15-minute peak, and then you're below baseline, which is why 15 minutes after your first drink, you think, where the fuck is the next one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I want to get yeah, higher. You, I want to feel better. You, you I want to keep... Urge yeah, 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 yeah. And even yeah. as you're finishing your beer, you're thinking, shit, are we having another one, boys? You're like, yeah. You check it. Yeah. Because yep. your brain knows the low dopamine is coming. So alcohol, 2x, 15 minutes. Cocaine, 2.5x. It goes up two and a half times. Biggest surge. Peaks at nine minutes then begins to fall below the baseline level. So faster up and higher up, faster down, suddenly you have this urge, more cocaine, quicker burst. When you look at something like cold water immersion, which has become like the worldwide phenomenon at the moment with Wim Hof and all this anti-human and all this shit, that is something that is classic. Like It's hard work. It's the opposite of pleasure. It's like literally pure pain. What they see is... It's the only behavior and experience they found that could also 2.5x the dopamine. So you're looking at 2.5x, same as the cocaine, rather than it peaking at nine minutes and crashing, this rises for two and a half hours. So the dopamine will progressively rise for two and a half hours, and then it will come back down to baseline. And if you imagine with what I was saying about if it spikes too fast, it crashes out, that causes the problem for us with something like cold water. If it's a two and a half hour curve, it's so slow that it's, it's slowly like up, more drive, more excitement. I feel good now. But if it's slowly up, it's slowly down. So there's no negative side of it. And that's the biggest thing. If any kind of behavior is effort, even something like cleaning your home, when you start cleaning your home, you're not like, great. wow, this is so fucking euphoric. Nah, but but then good. after like yeah. 20 minutes, you're like, oh, it's just so good. I've done this. Then you finish and you think, wow, I feel really euphoric. Accomplished. And, that's and you feel like you've accomplished yeah. something. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And that's because you've earned the dopamine. And that is all our brain wants us to do. It wants us to earn dopamine. It doesn't want us to just give it to it. And if you Love go in that. this pursuit, and this is what I had to do. I did so much of that cheap dopamine shit. And I had to start waking up every day. How am I going to earn the dopamine? Is it cold water? Is it exercise? Is it focusing whilst I'm working? Is it like cleaning and organizing my home? But anywhere in which you're in the pursuit of earning this shit, you suddenly start having much higher dopamine levels. The baseline can recover. And then you feel like this more motivation for life. And to get into a good mental state, that's what you got to have. I've really freaking love what you've just said. Like I'm sitting here going, this is great and writing notes down, man. Like this <laughs> this stuff's unreal. Like anyone that's listening right now, it's making so much sense. I appreciate, mate, the way you've been able to just articulate that in ways that are so simple to understand has been hats off to you, mate. So I really appreciate that. So yeah, so the thing is, and this has been a big part of this conversation around dopamine. I had no idea we were going to take this journey, <laughs> but I'm fucking loving it, man. I really am Neither loving it. I, I'm, but work. I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it. I'm learning a lot. So, mate, on that note, so the whole the quick up and the quick down, dangerous kind of. And when we talk about, oh, when you mentioned that earlier, for people who drink or do drugs or whatever, and you think, oh, it's going up, and then you need another drink to keep that feeling going up, because it's starting to kick in that downer is starting to kick in isn't it that's why you want another one and that's why you want another one but is it true saying that when you want that another one and you want that another one it's never truly going to go as high or does it still go two and a half times and two times 
every time no, you have yes, a drink. The first moment of the dopamine will always be the top of the peak. And that's the first time you ever take that drug. Yeah, and then progressively, ever. you're always on the reduction. Obviously, you can get the same dopamine if you increase the quantity of consumption. Yeah. And that's the thing that we then end up chasing. And yeah, this is the challenge. It's like, that's why that first beer on a Friday is like, oh, it's so good. You feel so euphoric when you haven't had a drink for a week because your brain hasn't had that type of dopamine. Whereas when we repetitively take these drugs, repetitively watch porn, repetitively eat like shit, we stop getting as much of a buzz because effectively our brain is like building tolerance to the high. And as I said before, the whole thing the brain has to do because it hates this is start lowering how much dopamine it produces when we're talking about that depression thing. So it's almost like it's preempting. Oh shit, they're going to go for it again tonight. I'm going to start producing I've got to bring less. Him down. I've got to bring him yeah. down. He's going to come okay. down. Yeah, hundred percent. Gotcha. Hundred percent. Gotcha. And then that's how when you and then when we talk about baselines in any form of quick pleasure pump, it either takes a lot more to feel that normal again, or you're just never going to have that same baseline. So getting up and going for a run, for example might not or doing the having one drink you're never going to feel as good as you did the very first time you had that first drink because your baseline's now not the same kind of thing 100 percent. do you feel with people and is this a thing like in your field of work and study is there a thing like a dopamine fasting is that good for us to like we talk about being off the phone and we talk about fasting for food and sleep and shit like is it something we can do with dopamine like is it good to go on like a 30-day dopamine challenge where you're limiting all your dopamine this is like for someone that's super addictive to addicted to this shit it really is one of like the only ways out of the addiction and it doesn't like 30 days would be amazing if you could achieve like none of this addictive shit for 30 days but i think for many obviously that's like a very very out there goal but even if you could do like commit to yourself like 24 hours without going on a social media app even that is going to be huge for your dopamine levels. And it's these apps have your logins and passwords so easily that deleting the app is not a big deal. You download it, you're logged back in in literally 60 seconds. So things like, yeah, dopamine fast off of the social media, a really good thing to do, or a dopamine fast off of the alcohol. Like for me, when I finished, I came out of my third year of university and I'd been working like extremely hard, but I'd also been absolutely pumping the fun, the experience of life. And I had this one evening where I was like, okay, TJ, like if, if you continue this pursuit, like you're not going to build a career. So you're going to have to like lock in for a bit and try and rebalance the situation. And that summer I was going to like live at my grandpa's house and he lived like in a quite a natural rural place. And I thought, fuck, I'm having no dopamine. I'm having no weed. I'm having no alcohol. I'm having none of this stuff. And I do now have some of these things. Yeah, like yeah, I can course. have like a balanced relationship with it. But I had to go through like a full healthy cleanse. And I had a friend that at the time, he also partied pretty hard. And he in the summer also did the same. We both like were in the pursuit of how do we get off all this shit, get the dopamine levels coming back, get our motivation super high to pursue our lives. And yeah, whatever your biggest challenge is, like whether it's the porn or the shitty food or the alcohol, you got to pick whatever your worst is and, and try and work on that one. And like the porn topic, for example, I didn't even necessarily want to be the guy that makes videos about porn. Like, well, I don't want to be that guy, but I felt like a need to tell people that your life gets measurably better if you watch less porn because I've experienced it. Like your desire gets so much stronger. And I've been, I've started putting it online and people are like, what the fuck? My friends like, why are you making videos about porn? And I, I've been saying to everyone, just seven days, seven days, no porn. That's what you got to do. And then you make your decision on whether you think it's good to not watch porn. And literally I've had hundreds of men like didn't watch porn for weeks, so much more motivated, so much more focused, so much more desire. And it's simply because they fasted from that source of dopamine, the dopamine levels rose, and then suddenly they had more in their brain for other things. And it's kind of all coming back to that, what you've mentioned earlier, TJ, it's kind of like the dopamine earned or the quick fix dopamine. They're really different. Dopamine earned, and just to sum it up and correct me if I'm wrong, are things like cleaning, washing, seeing friends, take, making an effort to get ready to go to an event, to see people, liaise, network, train, go to the gym. They're all things that are like earned. Anything Working that's on a effort. project, writing down, reading a book, that's all earned, right? Taking the yeah. bins out anything that's like going and doing your supermarket shop washing your bed sheets all this shit that's effort your brain builds dopamine so it's like in the pursuit of some kind of goal effectively and that's kind of healthy rising stuff that's not just boing boing it's healthy it's healthy
Yeah, because it's having to build it. It doesn't make you feel good immediately. And the whole point of dopamine is it builds over time. So that like when a hunter gatherer is sitting in their tribe, they're thinking, fuck, we're all going to be really hungry if we don't catch a deer in the next few days. In all of the male brains, the dopamine would start to build because it's like this anticipation of we need desire. And then as it pursues that goal, it needs the dopamine to surge. Like it might be two days we're chasing those animals for. The dopamine builds and builds and builds. And this is why when we're in the pursuit of a goal in life, we feel so good when we have something we're chasing. And when we have nothing we're chasing, we can feel like shit. And you see this even with like celebrities and people at the top and people that win the lottery. If someone surges to the top, they often develop some kind of mental health problem because they hit the ceiling. They've got nothing to pursue. All of these things you said, they're effort. They're just being more in the pursuit of your life. And as simply put, like if you put more effort into your life, your mental health gets measurably better. It really, really does. Mate, I've loved every minute of this podcast. It's been unreal. And speaking of that, <laughs> I want to digress right now because this dopamine conversation has been unreal. Very, very educational extremely beneficial so thank you and you know for anyone listening to this podcast now please rate and review it if you like it please share it with your friends and family not only will live in and it ain't weak to speak grow the podcast channels but it will help other people that might need to hear this stuff from great people like tj so please like subscribe to the podcast and share with me how you feel i always love hearing your feedback but that being said tj let's digress Neurofire, talk to me where you're at, what's your goals, what you're currently working on, how can people get behind it, share away. <laughs> Thank you, brother. So yeah, Neurofire is this company I've co-founded with a guy in the Netherlands, and it's effectively like a, a neuroscience-based training company. We initiated training companies, we went into schools, we built these like really cool gamified training experiences that basically put people in the pursuit of good mental health and they're completing challenges and all this shit like it's all built with this in mind yeah, and all, all stuff to earn they're earning it they're earning it they're earning it we've got like these things called the dose avatars we've got like 20 core behaviors that we try and build into it's a sick lives. app man it's a great app it's available in all the app stores so good on you man and everyone <laughs> that's listening download it now in the app store it's very easy and you can join the free community too you can and that's the biggest thing. And then we, about six months ago, we tapped into supporting individuals via Instagram and stuff like that. And we've got this model that I keep calling DOSE. This is an acronym for dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. And if we optimize each of these chemicals, all of the things that I'm suggesting in here begin to happen, effectively more motivated, healthier, connected. And yeah, we got a, a super cool 12-step video course that people can take. It's like nice digestible eight to ten minute videos that you go through they are a tiny bit of effort to watch and we know that that is so fucking important and then we got a cool like uh mobile learning version of dose you can go through it read it on your iphone all that kind of stuff so that is how we're getting this message out mate that's amazing so as far as people in the community of you know neurofile they're doing the 12-step dose program so to speak like they can do it in their own time. But aren't you also out there teaching? You're working with employees, workplaces, even students you mentioned. Like, is it around the same kind of philosophy? Yeah, 100%. So the gamified bit I mentioned, that's me going into companies all across Europe and schools all across Europe. And it's training. I basically take like big groups of staff from like maybe 50. And then we've done big groups, like 500 staff through these training events. And it's like a very reduced down version of like a Toby Ro- Tony Robbins event, but it's like that kind of concept. We're making them super immersive and interactive and everyone's on their phones voting on shit and sharing their thoughts and competitions, leaderboards, prizes. And yeah, that's basically, that's my absolute favorite thing to do. Like that's the thing where I get super flow state and get in the zone. And what is it about it that makes it your favorite? Watching people's faces when yeah. they hear the information. And, and, like, cha- and yeah. changing people. Yeah, like, like so many people like everyone else addicted to all this dopamine shit just like myself and like they don't know that there is an answer and they're like really is like a tangible answer to this mental health thing like i am so optimistic about society's mental health the deeper i dive into it the deeper i believe we can make some seriously not we just neurify but as a whole world we can make massive change around mental health and yeah when i'm out on there on stage I don't know, with the pressure on and stuff, like I just fucking love it. You're in your zone, eh? You're in your zone, man. That's (laughs) great. I love that. And so if people want to like kind of 
be a part of that community or learn more like where is the best place for them to go right now i mean you can they can download it obviously in the app store and stuff as i've mentioned but like can they visit your website can they follow you on instagram you and your business partner like what do you reckon yeah definitely so neurify if you just google neurify n-e-u-r-i-f-y then it'll come up top link there and you can from there see everything that we do and how you could get involved and then yeah tj power on instagram or tiktok ironic at the end to guide people towards social media yeah, after yeah. this whole conversation i mean it is like part of like it's a love-hate relationship and we've spoken now for 50 odd minutes and there's a lot of great things that have happened out of social media and businesses have thrived oh, yeah. and a message like Neurify or Living. No, it gives it a voice. It gives it a place. It's, it's given it a platform to share to the masses. You know, we, Living wouldn't be as successful as it was or has been in Australia without that, for example, you know, and the same thing with what you're doing. But on the other end of the spectrum, like anything, there's a limit to what we should and shouldn't be doing. And I love what you're teaching and what people can learn from what you're putting out in the world. I think it's very important. I think a lot of people are underestimating it and they don't quite know that it exists. And most people, because we're creatures of habit, humans are very lazy and they're becoming lazier. We like to do things that are the easiest course of action, that have the less obstacles and that don't require as much brain thinking. So I understand why people are addicted to things like porn, drinking, social media, drugs, because it's generally pretty easy. It's an easy... It doesn't take hard work, but as you've mentioned and as we've spoken about throughout this podcast, earned. You have to earn the right to feel great, I feel. You put in the work, you naturally feel better for it. It helps your life in all different aspects anyway. So it's a positive flow and effect. And at the end of the day, I think you know it's only going to benefit your mental health. For sure, for sure. And the final thing on those points, those dopamine things that are so hard to manage is we talked about some things like really increase the dopamine and crash it out. And the aim isn't to eradicate all these behaviors from your life. It's great if you could go through a period of fasting from them and having a break. But we also have to think about it's just frequency and duration, basically. Like drinking a few drinks on the weekend, you might feel a bit shit from it, but you're not going to feel super, super shit. But drinking 20 drinks on the weekend, you're going to feel like crap for the next like four or five days. And when you're looking at your dopamine behaviors, whether it's porn, the food, the phone, alcohol, drugs, It's just about frequency and duration. So when I go on TikTok, am I spending two hours on here a day or am I spending 10 minutes on a day? And am I doing it and checking it all the time? And if you reduce how frequently you engage with the dopamine behavior and when you engage with it, just like quantity and duration of it, suddenly the dopamine levels don't get hit as hard. Like I still smoke some cannabis, I go on TikTok, I drink alcohol, but I'm just much more aware of how much am I having effectively rather than just the now nah, I've already opened the door. Let's go for it yeah, full set. Because that nothing, isn't man. the thing that leads to us feeling good. Yeah, mate. And it's interesting. And I want to bring up one last point before we wrap up this podcast from my own personal thing. I've actually haven't, I haven't had, and I like to have a good drink. Don't get me wrong. I'm kind of like you, man. I'm Aussie. But living, <laughs> in a, living in LA for the last four years, I feel like the drinking mindset hasn't been that strong for me, which is good. So I don't drink nearly like I used to, which is great. Probably good for my health. Good, I, f- I feel better for it. I've been, I haven't had one drop of alcohol now for seven weeks and I'm feeling quite nice. good. Okay. It's the longest I've been in a while. When I drink, I don't have one or two drinks. I'm either 100, I'm, I'm either 30 drinks, like you said, and I feel shit and depressed and anxious and, and all that stuff. Or I just, I don't drink. And so I need to build a better relationship. Like you said, maybe when I do start drinking again, I'm getting married soon. Maybe it's oh, having a shit, maybe it's man. having a couple of drinks and knowing when to call it kind of thing. But there is a direct relationship with the I like to call it anxiety. So after I drink a lot, even if it's just sticking to really good, like more expensive alcohol, I thought that might feel better. I'm feeling shit, man, and I felt so anxious and panicky the next day, and it now can tend to last two or three days. So that's why I kind of went on a fast from it to get my mental health in check, to focus on my goals, realign my values and figure out where to next for me in 2023. But like, is that directly again related to the dopamine and stuff? Because when I'm doing the all or nothing, it's kind of like you're going hard and then none and then your body's kind of like more depleted and that's why you're feeling so bad and rough for the next two or three days. Is that kind of what the hangover is? Yeah, there's two parts to it. One is the big dopamine surge and crash, it kills that desire molecule in our brain. And like going back to the evolution thing, like if you took out all of the desire and 
like pursuit from a hunter cow's brain it would literally get nervous it would be like where the fuck is that thing that gives me effort so one area dopamine crashes we can get a bit nervous and a bit depressed like that the other big part of it and we haven't like deep dived on this but there's this serotonin chemical which is really our mood chemical it's like our emotional state and 95 percent of it is actually made in your body inside your gut so where the dopamine's in the brain the serotonin's in the gut and when the alcohol is sitting in our stomach trying to di- get digested the brain, the stomach is like, what the fuck is this? And it can't focus on that. So therefore it has to focus on that. I mean, like it has to figure out how it's getting rid of the alcohol. So the serotonin levels dip really, really low effectively. So, and when the serotonin is low, we're much more irritable and nervous and anxious and shit like that. So you've kind of got two missions with the anxiety. One is get the dopamine up. Good ways to do that would be singing and dancing to music ridiculously good in the morning if you can sounds like hell on a hangover but you could try <laughs> yeah, cold yeah. water absolute optimum organizing cleaning your home that kind of yep, thing clean, so cold water, cleaning and stuff music. or active even active relaxation going for a, a light jog or a walk or something anything any yeah. kind of movement going and seeing your friends would be a good thing to do and sitting and having a coffee with them so you're like out and you're doing something because the worst anxiety is always when you're on the sofa watching the tiktok 100%, that's when 100%. that's the anxiety so you've got the dopamine and then for the serotonin, it needs some really core things. It needs sleep and rest. And like, cause we don't sleep when we're hungover. Like that's the big thing that creates our challenge. It needs sleep and rest. It needs healthy, nutritious food, especially fruit on a hangover, which is something no one really eats on a hangover, but fruit will really help restore that chemical balance in the stomach. And then it needs sunlight, like so sleep, food, and sunlight. And if you can focus on a little bit of that dopamine stuff in the morning and then sleep, food, and sunlight, the anxiety levels will definitely reduce. Obviously, optimal would be a bit less booze, but if you're really anxious, then you could uh, do some of that. Yeah, mate. I could almost literally never drink again because that's how bad my anxiety got. That's why I've been given it the I had the same, man. I did six months last year with no booze because I was so fucked from it. And I have found like a big break off. I've managed to come back in and have a more manageable relationship with it. But still, it's a super powerful drug. And like, I'll be drinking a glass of red wine. You start thinking, oh, give me another one of them. Yeah, give me like, one this is good. It's good. I'll be fine tomorrow. <laughs> and then you're like, ah, mate, I'm the same, man. Maybe we can do a round two on the podcast, man. Oh, I, I reckon it, man. the guests sure. would love that. We should do one on serotonin. I think that's a, a really good segue. Mate, I appreciate all of your time. It's been literally one of the greatest chats I've had in the last 12 months here on the podcast. And I can't My wait. Guy, thank you. I man. can't wait for the guests to listen to this one, man. So, I appreciate you, TJ. Thank you so much for all of your intel, your insight, and the great work that you're doing with Neurify and the community. And we'll be sure to share all that stuff around when we launch the podcast. And yeah, looking forward to linking back up in the near future. Good shit, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Big love, man. Big love. Thank you for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please subscribe to the show and help us climb the charts so that we can attract new listeners and change more lives. If you found something very useful in this episode, please share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation can save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, we're going to the top. And remember, it ain't weak to speak. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.